Welcome to episode 165 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, while looking for your next hike or backpacking trip, it's easy to lose track of time reading colorful, inspiring trip reports. We'll help you to decipher some uncommon words and phrases that you may run across in your reading. Then we'll review some dreamy socks that are getting a cult following among thru-hikers. And we'll give you access to the secret government codebook to decipher trip reports. It really is from the government. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. A few weeks ago, I was on the Washington Trails Association website, just kind of reading through some hikes, trying to get inspired and see what's out there. And I got lost in the descriptive, beautiful, poetic writing of some of these folks who write the trip reports for Washington Trails Association. Like this line from a report on the enchantments in Washington State, it says, In the enchantments, nature has carved one of the magnificent places of this world, an alpine paradise of granite, worn smooth by glaciers, larches manicured by wind and cold, and crystal blue lakes strung together by a creek that tumbles and thunders between them. You know there was a more boring way <laughs> this person could have written this report, but they chose the road less traveled and really brought you with them on this journey. And the more boring way of describing the enchantments would fall short of describing the enchantments adequately. If they had said the enchantments have rocks, lakes, and trees. And an even distribution of the three of them. <laughs> right, equally distributed. Yeah. Oh, boring. And it wouldn't paint the picture of just how beautiful the enchantments are. And the very last line of this report on the enchantment says, All who come here would agree. The pain is a small, small price to pay. Your mind will quickly forget the trials of the way out or in, but will be forever filled with visions of what can only be described in a final fit of hyperbole as heaven on earth. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> So beautiful. So uh, just it makes you want to get out there. And it's not just the beauty of these trail descriptions, but I think there's also a lot of terminology packed into them that really has meaning. Not just that it's a cool sounding word, but if you know what the words mean, then you start to understand a lot more about what you're reading. A skilled writer will use those tricky words. Uh, like in this trip report, there were quite a few of them that I wasn't really familiar with. Phrases like carved inlets or ribs of granite, terminal moraine, jumbled talus, stunted larches. Some of it I could kind of figure out. I know a larch is a tree. It's a deciduous uh, evergreen. What? <laughs> 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 It's a deciduous conifer. Conifer, okay. Yeah, so it looks like an evergreen tree, but it loses its needles uh, every fall. 
The author of this article wrote using real outdoor words, words that are more than just tree, rock, river. Yeah, and the words sound really cool and and are evocative of the scenery there, but they also mean something. Like when you said stunted larches, well, it's helpful to know that a larch is a tree, but it's even more meaningful if you know what kind of tree a larch is. When you realize that larches are those trees that go blazing yellow in the fall and just look amazing because the entire mountainside is covered in yellow and things like that, you start to get a lot more out of these terms once you know what they really mean. Right, and it paints a richer picture and gives you an idea of maybe what the trail is going to actually be like. A good trail report can also give you a real sense of whether the trip is worth the attempt and give you an idea of if it's your skill level. One of the lines from this trail report from the Enchantments says, Long before you reach the parking lot, you will be shuffling listlessly every step a small victory of mind over matter. So that gives you an idea of what a challenge it is. What a beautiful challenge it is. It sounds like it's <laughs> worth the challenge. And maybe the challenge gets hidden a little bit in the beauty of the words. Sounds like a tough hike. But like they said, well worth it. Oh, heaven on earth. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you read through these trip reports, you started to pay attention to these words that maybe you had glossed over before. It's really easy when you're reading something to just gloss over the words that you don't really recognize because we're really good at guessing from context clues. And so when you get to one of those words that you don't really know what it means, it's pretty easy to just kind of fill it in mentally with your own guess and it works, but you miss out on some of the true meaning of what was written because you glossed over that word that you didn't know. So when you were recently reading trail reports, you slowed down and actually took a moment to circle the words that you had maybe glossed over previously and said, wait a minute, what do these really mean? Yeah, yeah, and I was able to fit them into several categories. Five categories to be exact. Five, really? If you're ready for a top five list right now. I am. Well, perfect. So for today's top five list, we have the top five types of words that I ran into while reading trip reports. After circling all the words that I didn't know, I was able to sort them into five categories. The first type of word that I ran into while reading trip reports is words that describe the ecosystem. So this would be words that give you the big picture of what to expect in terms of plant life, animals, temperature ranges, exposure, and just general features. So these would be words like subalpine, wetlands, rainforest, desert, grasslands, and temperate forests. And these words are important because it describes the connection between all of those elements. So some of these words are easy, like desert, a place that doesn't get much rain, and that affects the entire ecosystem there. Or wetlands, I think most of us would be able to picture something. But think about if you're hiking through wetlands. That means your feet might get wet. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there might be a lot of mosquitoes. Uh, All those things come with wetlands. So it's a term that brings a lot with it. Or rainforest. Well, that's the opposite of a desert. It gets a lot of rain, but it gets a lot more rain than just a regular forest. So all of these terms are going to help you know how to respond and know what to prepare for, kind of what challenges and what opportunities lie ahead of you. The number two type of word that I ran into while reading trip reports 
was words that describe the geology or the shape of the earth. Earth is shaped by glaciers, volcanoes, wind, water, earthquakes, plate tectonics. Unless you think that's a government conspiracy. No, but I think it's an earthquake and a volcano. (laughs) I mean, that's plate tectonics drives earthquakes and volcanoes. I thought plate tectonics was caused by pirates. So plate tectonics would be a good word to look up. (laughs) I guess I need to go back to second grade because I do remember learning about it. It's when all the world was one... One big continent. Yeah, Yeah. and then it kind of started to split up and... Yeah, I remember using a lot of glue stick on that project. Oh, right. Yeah, you had to glue everything together in a big puzzle. So if you see words like avalanche shoot, basin walled by rugged peaks, rock formation, summit, dome, ridge, pass, shoreline, alluvial or pluvial lake, those words paint a picture of the way that the earth is shaped. And it could be shaped by any of those forms of erosion. And the cool thing about words that describe geology or the shape of the earth is that those features could be right under your feet or they could be hundreds of miles away and you could be experiencing it from the view that you have. And the scale of those features can be just as varied. It might be something right under your feet where you're looking at the texture of the soil because it's alluvial soil or you kind of look around you and realize that you are part of something that is hundreds of miles wide, that is a basin or, you know, something. So the scale just from micro to huge. The number three type of word that I ran into while reading trip reports is words that describe living matter. So this could be something like a dense growth of sedges or Indian paintbrush, western anemone, Lupin, mountain goats, elk, even insects usually get... Like the mosquitoes? They get some good real estate. Yeah, usually mosquitoes get mentioned in trail reports. Fungus, fungi, gets mentioned as well. Sure, the mushrooms or other fungi. uh, Lichen is also really common to get mentioned in trail reports, especially up in the alpine environments. And you see some beautiful lichens growing on the rocks. And these, again, are so easy to skip over. When you read something like Indian paintbrush, yeah, you get a picture in your mind, right? Without even knowing what Indian paintbrush is, you can imagine that it's something that looks like a paintbrush that's been dipped in paint. It's colorful on the end. But if you actually take a minute to look it up and identify it, what's cool is then when you're out on the hike and you see that plant, you go, wait a minute, I know exactly what that is. That's the Indian paintbrush that they talked about in the trail report. Indian paintbrush might be one of the easier ones to guess, but there's many others that as you read the trail report, yeah, you fill in the gaps and you say, well, I don't know what that is, but it's probably a plant. And you just keep right on reading through. But if you take a moment and say, wait, let me look that up. What plant is that? Then you just have such a a deeper experience when you go on that trip. The number four type of word that I ran into while reading trip reports is words that describe man-made structures. This could be things like boardwalks, rustic log bridges, bear pole, or campsites. Understanding what these features are can help you to appreciate 
man's desire to return to the wild and find that solitude and beauty and peace while at the same time having minimal impact, you know, like not trying to make, you know, the prettiest, most colorful bear pole in the world, (laughs) you know, with flashing lights. A lot of these structures are meant to be hewn out of the resources that are already in the forest or just to be minimally impactful or just be out of the way and useful enough, but maybe not beautiful, but just they need to do the job without getting in the way. And these descriptions of man-made structures can be really helpful in planning the itinerary and the logistics of your trip. If you know that there's going to be a cabin, and in fact, if the trail reports have given you a good sense of what the cabin is like, that it is in fact watertight, that it's clean, habitable, (laughs) uh, that might be where you spend a night on the trail. If you know that a campsite has lockable bear bins provided, then you know that you don't have to worry so much about bringing just the right canister to put all your food in because you can stash it in the bear bin that's already there on site. In episode 139, we talked with Rudy Getzik, who is from the Cascade Hiker podcast, and he talked about his experience with trail building and the manpower that goes into it and how they use the resources around them, how they have to use those resources in order to build the trail. You have to find a fallen tree in order to create things like boardwalks or steps, those things that we really appreciate when we're out hiking. And then he talked about not being able to use chainsaws because that wouldn't let nature sounds prevail. That would be something that would be very intrusive. And he said that the team that he worked with would cut everything by hand or with their teeth. They would gnaw at it for hours and hours and hours (laughs) until finally the perfect boardwalk. Take a lifetime. (laughs) The number five type of word that I ran into while reading trip reports is words that describe trail features. So this would be words like switchbacks, elevation gain, left branch or right branch, T-junction or fork. Understanding these words can help you navigate successfully. These are really important words that give you a sense of what the trail itself is like and, of course, keep you from getting lost. So when you come to a T, then you know that that's one trail ending at another trail that passes by, shaped like a T. When you read about 10 switchbacks, then you can picture in your mind that you're going up the side of a mountain, hiking along for... What, a couple hundred feet? All of a sudden, the trail (laughs) makes a hairpin turn and goes back the direction you just came from, but keeps going slightly uphill, and you keep hiking, and then at the other end, you look down, and there's the trail you were just on, 50 feet below you, but you've been hiking for a quarter mile now. And you know that if you just did a naughty and walked straight up five feet, you would be up to the next switchback without even having to do all that work. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> that, that's pretty strenuous, too. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, bad form. Bad. Right. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But the switchbacks uh, not only prevent erosion, but they really, they, they are also designed to make the trail doable for the average person. Oh, yeah. The Going elevation. straight up. It's right. just hard. And some trail reports will get really specific about elevation gain. Uh, so you might read that the trailhead is at 4,000 feet and your destination is at 5,000 feet. 
So you go, okay, well, we're going to gain a thousand feet of elevation during this hike. Well, yes, from start to finish, you'll net gain a thousand feet. But does that happen by just gradually going up the whole time? Or is this a trail that goes up a thousand, down a thousand, up a thousand, down a thousand, up a thousand? So you ended up a thousand feet, but your total elevation gain was one, two, three thousand feet because you had three thousand feet of up and two thousand feet of down. Well, there's a difference between just going up a thousand feet versus going up, down, up, down, up, down, up a thousand feet. So next time you read a trail report or a trip report or you're just reading Backpacker magazine and a word pops up that you have never heard or that you've always just kind of, you know, maybe mentally filled in the blanks in your head, but you don't really know what you're talking about, look that word up so that you can have a broader vocabulary so you can fill in those words with pictures in your mind and you'll be better able to envision the trail and have a better trail experience. For today's Summit Gear Review, Cloud Line Socks. And today we have a guest reviewer. We're with our 13-year-old son, who is also, quite possibly, Cloud Line Socks' biggest fan. Yeah, how did you become a super fan? So it started out that I asked for a pair of socks and my mom gave me a pair of cloud lines and she was like, be very careful with these. And so I put them on and I was like, whoa, these are really soft and they feel really nice. And then after that, I just built up more and more cloud lines so then I can wear them every day. So I was introduced to cloud line socks when I went to the outdoor retailer show in Salt Lake City maybe about a year ago, maybe it was two years ago. And I remember thinking, socks, yes, socks are all the same. Why do we need another sock company? And uh, they handed me a pair of socks and wanted me to try them out. And again, I'm just thinking, a sock is a sock is a sock. How are these miraculous? Or why are they called cloud line? Are they supposed to be soft? Uh, it turns out they are the softest merino socks that I've ever tried. What are your thoughts on that? Well, when I first tried them on, I thought the name was Cloud9. And then later on, I figured out it was Cloudline. And I haven't gotten a single blister while wearing them or ever since I've gotten them. Every pair of socks has its own personality or its own feel to it. What's the, what's the feel of the sock? Well, they're 4% spandex and... Just to put it in contrast, I have a pair of shorts that's 8% spandex, and I can stretch it all the way down to my ankles, <laughs> and I don't hear a single thread snap, so having the 4% spandex in those socks is going to affect it a lot to keep it all nice and stretchy and comfortable. So Cloudline socks are an ultra-soft merino wool sock that has nylon and spandex woven into it. We're reviewing the hiking sock today, which has reinforced cushion zones, so it's going to be a little more durable and comfortable there. So the cushioning starts at the top of your heel and wraps around the bottom all the way to your toes. And what can you tell us about the antimicrobial qualities of these merino wool socks? Any personal experience? I don't like to wear them two days in a row because that's weird. <laughs> but you know you could if you wanted to. That's the awesome thing about merino. 
So you haven't gone on like a five-day marathon of wearing the same socks? That's disgusting. I <laughs> wow, what? I'm impressed. <laughs> I just assumed, I don't know, you're a 13-year-old. <laughs> I know. just assumed you probably took a pair of cloud lines out on Monday and just wore them all the way through Friday. It would be nice if I could do that, but I have PE every day. Oh, okay. Now we got to do the challenge, the Merino sock challenge. That's a bad idea. What? <laughs> It is definitely a good idea. I've tried it. You've tried it, and you don't have PE every day. Ah, uh, that is true. For an hour. That's true. And you're not 13 years old. Ah, yeah. that's that stage a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, can you tell us a little bit about what merino wool does? So merino wool, because it wicks the moisture uh, when you sweat, it keeps your foot from getting wet and stinky. And it's really good at keeping the temperature right. Because it ventilates well and it can insulate your foot to keep the temperature, you know, warm when it's cold. For mass, Cloudline socks weigh 2.6 ounces or 75 grams. And these are the hikers. For maintenance, these socks are machine washable, which goes against everything your grandma ever told you about Merino. But it's true, you can wash these socks. For investment, Cloudline socks are between $15 and $24 per pair. It just depends on the size and weight that you get. So we're reviewing the hiker socks, which are a medium height. You know, they go up your calf. And even within the hiker sock line, you've got three different options for the amount of extra cushioning in those socks. So you can go with hiker socks with the ultra light cushion, light cushion, or medium cushion. The ones with the medium cushion are $22 a pair. And I love their Cloudline lifetime guarantee. This is verbatim from their website. It says, you can be confident that you are going to love these hiking socks as much as we do, or your money back. That's our guarantee. If they don't live up to the abuse of the wild, your money back. If there are any defects, your money back. If a bear eats them whole, well, consider yourself lucky, but we think you get the picture. So they're pretty sure that you'll love the socks. So we do have a super fan here in the room. What do you love about Cloudline socks? I mean, you asked for them for your birthday back in October, and then you also asked for them for Christmas, and your brother asked for them for Christmas. So what is it about Cloudline that floats your boat? They always fit. A lot of my socks, they fit for maybe a couple months, and then they get too small or a whole or a hole shows up in them. But with Cloudline socks, I don't have to worry about a hole, and they always fit because, I don't know, maybe they're magical or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know in the past I've bought, like, the six-pack of Hanes socks for the boys, and um, after a while, after a few washes, they get crunchy. That's what you guys tell me. They get crusty. Crusty, that's the word. Like stale bread. The, the fabric just gets old. I think it's the cotton and so they no longer really stretch well. They lose that flexibility. Yeah, and I think in the past, I never would have spent more than $3 on a pair of socks. But because of backpacking, I've been exposed to these different brands of wool socks and have been really impressed with not only their antimicrobial abilities, but the comfort, the durability, just everything about merino socks makes them so worth it. And these happen to be a brand that has a really clean design, and they will definitely win awards for comfort because they are so comfortable. I think there's a reason why they're called Cloud Line. It sounds like Cloud Nine. Well, do you have anything else you want to say about these socks? 
I just randomly thought of a backpack hack. Ooh, if you have an old crusty pair of socks made of cotton, then you can just throw them in the fire when you go backpacking and you don't need to bring any special fire starter. Ooh, nice. Just plug your nose. <laughs> or wash them first. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you'll find the link to the cloud line hikers in today's show notes, and those are at the first 40 milescom slash 165. For today's Backpack Hack of the Week, we have an outdoor glossary for you. This is a glossary from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the Natural Resources Conservation Service, so they know what they're talking about. And we have the link in the show notes today, which are at thefirst40miles.com slash 165. You can also go to this website and download the PDF of the entire glossary. You can print it out. You can shove it in your glove box in your car and just have it with you all the time. But it's a really great glossary to go through because the glossary is filled with outdoor words. You don't have to sift through all those other words like you do in a regular dictionary. These are words that are relevant to what you're doing. That's really cool. This document has nearly a thousand terms of different geographical and geological features. So let's pick a random word and see if we can figure out, because I'm afraid they're going to use too much. Uh, like technical jargon to technical define words. these technical words. Right. <laughs> so, so you're can, like, oh, great. Now I've got five more words to look up. <laughs> right. So can a normal person read a definition from a government document and figure it out? Okay. So let's pick one that's kind of deceptive looking. Lee. L-E-E. L-E-E. Okay. It's such a short, simple word, but what does it mean? Well, here's what it says. It's a side or slope that faces away from an advancing glacier or ice sheet facing the downstream or down ice side of a glacier and relatively protected from its abrasive action. Whew, that's a tough one. <laughs> so it has something to do with the slope around a glacier. But it's opposite the glacier. Isn't that what it says? Yeah, it faces away from an advancing glacier. But it also says facing the downstream or down ice side of a glacier. So the lower end of a glacier and relatively protected from its abrasive action. Okay, so it could be somewhat uh, like at a different angle. Maybe. It could be a little bit steeper of an angle so that when the glacier passes over it, it says something about not being um, affected by the glacier, not being... Uh... Yeah, relatively protected from the abrasion, the, right. the erosion that it causes. Huh. Now I'm looking up Lee Slope and trying to find images for it. This might be something that's more relevant to skiers, climbers. I don't know. Depends on how many glaciers you hike on. Yeah, but if someone's doing a trip report and they talk about the Lee Slope, that as you're traversing this glacier, you need to stay on the Lee Slope ah. or the Lee Side, it would be helpful to know which side they mean, right? Right. Okay, we could pick another one just to see. How about this one? Do you even know how to pronounce it? Uh, I would say Arete, but it's probably Arete. Arete. <laughs> Maybe. A-R-E-T-E. -E. What does the glossary say? Arete. Oh. Arete. And actually, this glossary does not provide 
pronunciation guides. Okay. So I had to Google the pronunciation. Uh, but the definition is that it's a narrow, jagged mountain crest, often above the snow line, sculpted by alpine glaciers and formed by backward erosion of adjoining cirque walls. With hyperlinks to mountain, crest, glacier, erosion, and cirque. So you can go find the definitions of all of those words. <laughs> this does sound like a rabbit hole, but a fun rabbit hole. Absolutely. And you'd find some fun words to impress people with at a party. <laughs> what kinds of people? Um, Other hikers, hikers and backpackers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like or, a good party. <laughs> I mean, if you have a friend who's a geologist, yeah, you could drop a few of these terms on them and they'll be like, whoa, impressed. And we'll leave you today with a little bit of trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Hunter S. Thompson. He said, The natural world will always be there to save me from suffocating in my human problems. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you've been on a backpacking trip, share your story at thefirst40miles.com slash story. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles. rather know that you're going to do 30 switchbacks or just be pleasantly surprised? Pleasantly surprised? <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> because, oh, I, I thought it might be 40, but it was only 30. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep it or leave it. Yeah. Or leave it or whatever. Keep yeah. it or leave it. You have a choice. Keep it or leave it. <laughs> As I win, tails you lose. <laughs> <laughs>